It is therefore ordered and adjudged that the said Donald John Trump be, and he is hereby, acquitted of the charges in said articles. True, but that doesn't mean he didn't do it. Because he did. All of it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, on WPRR. In New Orleans, on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. As much as we can, five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker... And all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, And while today might normally be a day for special coverage of the historic impeachment Senate trial acquittal of the most lawless president by far the United States has ever known on Wednesday, or special coverage of his ugly and bitter State of the Union address on Tuesday, or special coverage of the ongoing meltdown of the first nominating contest of the 2020 election cycle in Iowa on Monday, kicking off the selection of uh, Trump's Democratic re-election opponent, Uh, we have an unholy alliance of all three nightmares at once today. I'm inclined to call it the peak Trump moment for a nation under siege from within, but I fear we may not be anywhere near the peak yet, particularly if this man is allowed to win a second term in office. Nonetheless, we will do our best to cover all three of these landmark historic moments all at once today as nightmare upon nightmare continues to pile up and batter an anxious and exhausted nation, or at least an anxious An exhausted radio show host. Yes, Donald Trump was acquitted by a corrupt and cowed Republican majority in the U.S. Senate just before airtime today on two articles of impeachment, abuse of power and corruption of Congress. 
obstruction of Congress. I'm sorry. Close. Both. Uh, In any event, uh, it was his attempt to cheat on the 2020 election and cover it up, for which he is clearly guilty, according to all of the evidence and every single witness allowed to testify, which, by the way, was very few, thanks to the same corrupt and cowed Republican majority blocking any and all new firsthand eyewitnesses and documents for the first time ever in a Senate impeachment trial. And even according to many of the shameless Republican senators who voted to acquit him today, he was actually guilty as charged. Nonetheless, they voted to acquit him on a slim majority uh, vote against conviction of 52-48 on Article 1, abuse of power with all Democrats and independents and Republican Mitt Romney, All voting guilty and all of the other Republicans voting not guilty just before air today. And on the second count, obstruction of justice, Romney voted with the Republicans in a strict partisan line vote, 53 to 47, to acquit this president of attempting to cover up his abuse of power by denying all witnesses and documents subpoenaed by the U.S. House for the very first time in American history. As that matter inked its way into the history books, the results of the Democratic Iowa caucuses are still unknown at this hour. Thanks to the failure of an untested, secretly developed smartphone app meant to report caucus results, which are recorded at each site with hand-marked paper, uh, that uh, smartphone app that uh, a few of uh, a few of us had warned against strongly in advance of the caucuses, as we have uh, regarding so much similarly dangerous, non-transparent, vulnerable, unnecessary computer technology being forced upon voters in our elections for the first time in the critical 2020 election, with still uh, two days later. After the Iowa caucuses, only partial results released by the Iowa Democratic Party after they had insisted on creating and using this failed app. And then there was Tuesday night's ugly, divisive State of the Union address amidst all of this. That included a snubbed handshake for the Speaker of the House by the president, a speech full of out-and-out, easily demonstrable lies, False attacks on Democrats and the former president, a series of out-and-out TV game show-like stunts, the nation's highest award given to an infamous racist misogynist right there in the chamber during the speech, a number of Democrats who walked out during the address, the father of a child killed in a school shooting being ejected from the chamber, all of which ended with the Speaker of the House tearing up her copy of the president's speech as soon as he finished. The president, by the way, who failed to mention impeachment or Ukraine or their war with Russia that he pretends to care about. He didn't mention concerns about election security. He didn't mention the Iowa caucus, which maybe was an unusually rare moment of grace for that man. And naturally, he did not mention our worsening climate crisis as he never does, unless to scoff at it. All in what seemed to me at least to be the ugliest, meanest-spirited State of the Union address in his three years, and I'm not an historian, but I am just guessing the ugliest in the history of the nation. Joining us, as always, of course, is the uh, perhaps no less anxious and exhausted radio show producer, Desi Doyen, today. <laughs> Hello, Desiree. Hello. Uh, are we at peak Trump yet? God, I hope so. But I think you're right that we should buckle up for worse. 
I'm also delighted. Oh, I'm well buckled. Believe you me. Uh, I'm also uh, delighted. Uh, you know, there are so many corporate pundits and elected officials and academic experts out there who have been so wrong and wrong and wrong for so long about so many things that has brought us to this moment. Even while folks like my guests today have quietly been right and right and right year after year, decade after decade. So I am just delighted to be surrounded today by people who actually get it and always have, who did not need external events to force them to rethink their already correct opinions. At least mostly. I'm sure I'll have to correct both of them sometime, <laughs> uh, somehow today. Uh, the great Heather Digby Parton, you heard her laugh there. She is known far and wide as simply Digby. She's the award-winning proprietor of the long-running Hullabaloo blog and a regular contributor at Salon.com and to this program of late, uh, not to mention uh, our go-to thought leader in times of turbulence and despair when all seems lost. I think that's a compliment, Digby. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to take it as one. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for being had. Tom Sullivan <laughs> is an Asheville, North Carolina-based writer. He has written for the Asheville Citizen Times, Huffington Post, Bill Moyers and Company, and most prestigiously, if you ask me, right next to Heather at Digby's Hullabaloo each day where he's the East Coast morning guy for us layabout West Coasters. Uh, like Heather and me. He is also a, a progressive activist in the battleground state of North Carolina, author of For the Win, which is a nuts and bolts training guide in countywide get out the vote operations, which should be required reading for every goddamn so-called professional Democratic Party strategist in every county, in every state in the country this year. Tom Sullivan, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thanks, Brad. That was uh, that was uh, over the top, and I, I hope I deserve it. Yeah, all I ask is that you live up to it. All right, somehow <laughs> we're going to fly through all of these things quickly today. Uh, wish us all luck. Uh, Heather, let me start with you. Uh, and, and the State of the Union is what I described as the ugliest State of the Union address in the history of this nation, so we can frankly move past it as quickly as possible and on to all the other nightmares. Uh, your quick top-line thoughts on what we all witnessed on Tuesday night. Well, it was pretty awful. Obviously, it was in the, you know, the, the, the atmospherics of it uh, were bizarre, to say the least. I mean, he was in the middle of the, uh, I guess you'd call it the deliberation, such as it was, of his impeachment trial. Mm -hmm. It's not the first president to have that happen. We had it happen with Clinton, although Clinton was much more skilled at being able to, you know, present himself as something of a dignified, you know, leader in a situation like that. Uh, so and contrite, Trump, he was and contrite. Control. He was very apologized. He apologized yeah. to the whole country. He, you know, he, but you know, having this and doing the State of the Union speech in the midst of an impeachment for someone like Clinton, I think that was probably a very tough moment to have to go face the the public and try to you know be presidential and do mm -hmm. all of that. I don't think for Trump it was. He doesn't care about any of that. <laughs> if anything, he was angry. I mean, I could yeah. you know you could see that edginess in him, and it showed. The speech, of course, you know, probably a Stephen Miller special. Um, was mm -hmm. pretty awful, as you as you say. I mean, they did this sort of Oprah-like kind of political, you know, emotional manipulation thing with having some of the people in the audience, and they were making sort of a feint toward perhaps pretending that they care about racial minorities, mm -hmm. um, probably not in a real serious attempt to actually get racial minority votes, but more trying to lure back some of the Republican suburban women 
who are appalled by his very existence and trying to you know make him seem like a a softer personality. But of course, you know, he immediately you know quote pivoted to his rally speech that was really only devoid of the usual crude invective that accompanies it, but all the ideas underlying it were exactly what he says in his rally speech, Mm -hmm. culminating in a moment that was the most grotesque display I've ever seen, honestly, by a president. I mean, to have to reward Rush Limbaugh, the most odious uh, political personality of the last 30 years. And I would, you know, even include you know mm-hmm. say he was more odious than Donald Trump even I he, mean, I he really wouldn't was. He, he would not uh, Donald Trump would not be here if it were not exactly for right. Uh, Rush exactly Limbaugh. Yes. right Rush Limbaugh made that made Donald Trump possible and he paved that, that the way for him for for 30 long years and it was absolutely disgusting and Trump using his sort of reality show you know shtick there by it was almost as if he was doing the beauty pageant thing, you know. That mm. <laughs> it was kind of, and it was. He was sitting there going, yep. and you know, Miss Florida, Rush Limbaugh, mm-hmm. you know, wins the crown, and you know, Melania put the crown on, and whatever. And Rush played along by be playing the sort of surprised ingenue, well, you know. Who, oh, I did. I didn't expect such what? a thing. Oh, this is so surprising. Yeah. Like not and everyone in the entire United States already knew that this was going to happen. Right. And of course. Knew too. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So they you know the whole thing was so contrived, but truly, it was a dagger to the heart of every liberal in the United States who's followed politics. It was absolutely saying, you know, just I'm sticking it to you, and I'm going to twist that knife. You impeach me, this is what you get for mm. it. And that's why Nancy Pelosi tore up the speech. I mean, it was like, you know, really. Really, you're going to go this far, you you piece of work. Yeah. And, you know, so her reaction was not just, I, I mean, I think it was genuine. I don't think they planned it ahead of time. But it was certainly necessary. The, if she hadn't done something like that, I think the rest of us would have been sitting there going, jeez, you know, potted yeah. plants. Yeah, I, <laughs> anyway. I, I, well, and, and I think that's what people are going to remember. I mean, there was so much lying yeah. In the address itself, I remember a day when we used to, I'm old enough to remember when we used to, you know, debate and discuss various uh, policy issues that would be introduced in the State of the Union. Uh, But there was just so much stuff and nonsense that it almost seems beside the point, you know, uh, to to even to talk about it, to even discuss (laughs) the lies uh, or even to debunk them because it was all about the theatrics. And that, I think, is the only thing that uh, people will remember. Now, we should note, by the way, um, it, it's, it wasn't only uh, Pelosi tearing up that speech at the end. Donald Trump actually snubbed her handshake at the beginning. Uh, and yet, Tom Sullivan, uh, Sean Hannity called the ripping up moment, quote, one of the most classless things I've ever uh, seen in the history of the State <laughs> of the Union. Yes, of course. Jason Chaffetz, I, I've never seen anybody act so childish in my life. Even the vice president uh, was on Fox and Friends, said, I wasn't sure if she was ripping up the speech or the Constitution. Well, he can be right. sure the Constitution was the one that was already ripped up before the speech started uh, by Trump. Tom, uh, I suspect that's going to be the only thing that anyone ends up remembering from this speech. Does does any of this actually matter to voters in 2020? Man, I don't know. There were such a flurry of lies there. Uh, he threw so much into the air that it was hard to even keep up with it uh they, it reminded me of uh 
something that Billy Bush had told Bill Mayer a while back, that uh, Trump's approach to this sort of thing is, uh, he told him on the Bill Maher show, you mm-hmm. just tell them lies and they believe it. That it, You just tell it to them and they believe it. Whatever the lie is or whatever the truth is, you just lie bigger. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to become numb to it, uh, you know, except Stephen Miller gets a thrill out of it. But it's... Yeah. it's it's really tough to take, and and it's 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 psychologically just wearing. I think he's uh, he's either trying to wear us out or outlast us. And or uh, both. he's yeah, or both. He's doing a good job of it too. Uh, there was uh, a litany of his own accomplishments in the past three years, and obviously we uh, it's only an hour long program, so we don't have the ten <laughs> or twenty hours we'd need to debunk all of these. But he said, uh, if we hadn't reversed the failed economic policies of the previous administration, the world would not now be witnessing this great economic success. Uh, he boasted uh, in just one of dozens and dozens of easily debunkable lies. For example. Trump claimed record job growth during his first three years in office. But David Axelrod, Obama's former advisor, was quick to tweet in rebuttal that the last three years of the Barack Obama administration produced more jobs than the first three years of uh, Donald Trump's administration. He also notes unemployment fell from 10.2 to 4.7. That's more than five points under Obama. It's fallen another 1.2 percent under Trump. But um, it was just that sort of thing. And, you know, as long as they're going to be focusing on the economy, I guess we do have to sort of respond to some of these points to, uh, you know, to show that, no, this was pretty much all on autopilot, Mr. President. If anything, you've made it worse. But, Tom, um, is there any particular lie that got under your cross since you brought it up uh, from uh, from Tuesday's State of the Union? Oh, the the going after going after the government schools yes. uh, really annoyed oh. me in a big way. Uh, someone else had, had pointed this out, but I mean, support for public schools in this country predates the Constitution. Mm-hmm. They, they th- this is as an American as you can get, but they are so determined to turn any kind of social program into a profit-making venture that mm. uh, that they've been re- relentlessly attacking the public schools because teachers and school funding stands between the would-be profiteers and their money. Yeah. And so that was his call for uh, passing a federal bill for uh, school choice, which, uh, Heather, w- well, what's wrong with that? Uh, it's uh, here. It's very popular, according to Donald Trump. Uh, okay. Well, you know, since federal uh, public schools are actually a state and local issue, so I don't really think that's going to have much uh, effect. Even if he does it, he thinks it's interesting. You got to sort of analyze what he was after there. I mean, aside from them always wanting to create some sort of uh, you know phony accomplishment to appease his right wing base in this case, particularly the, the evangelicals who really, um, you know, seem to be his most, the most loyal plank in his, uh, in his base, mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, they, of course, are, you know, they, they are into homeschooling, and they, mm-hmm. they would like to have some affirmation of that on a federal level. And some um, government funding for it, too. And some government funding. And, and also, he's trying to make a play, and it's important to sort of recognize this, he's trying to make a play. For as I pointed out earlier, for the for uh, you know a certain just if he could slice off a, a little bit of the African American vote, 
he's talking about criminal justice. You know, his Super Bowl ad was kind of, was about the uh, you know the freeing of the of the prisoner that Kim Kardashian had mm-hmm. had brought to his attention and criminal justice reform, this school choice thing, which is popular among certain um, Afri- you know groups of African Americans in urban um, mm-hmm. or urban centers. You know, this he, he's sort of trying to make this play. Now, no, I don't think anybody believes it. I mean, this is the guy who said you know Nazis some not. You know, some Nazis are very fine people, and you know he did the Central Park Five thing and mm-hmm. called, you know, said asshole nations, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think he's fooling anyone, and I do think that that's mostly as a way to try and lure back some of those Republican women. But you know, this this you know his his evocation of government schools, I think all of that is leading to a full blown assault on socialism that you know government schools has that ring to it right i mean doesn't it sound a little stalinist or yeah whatever? well you know what and that perfectly sets up where i was going and i'm i'm glad to hear well we'll see if you're right whether that you know queen for a day stunt that uh, where he you know gave away that scholarship I or whatever think. it was we'll see if that fools anybody but since you brought up socialism, before we move on, uh, you'll note I haven't been playing uh, you know any of these clips from this guy, which is you know so much like fingernails on a chalkboard, I think, to many, including me today. But I do want to play one because I think this will be important moving forward in the 2020 election cycle. Uh, well, let me let me just play this and and then we'll talk about it. But as we work to improve Americans' health care, there are those who want to take away your health care take away your doctor, and abolish private insurance entirely. 132 lawmakers in this room have endorsed legislation to impose a socialist takeover of our health care system, wiping out the private health insurance plans of 180 million very happy Americans. To those watching at home tonight, I want you to know we will never let socialism destroy American health care. So, since uh, Heather brought up socialism, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, who, uh, who I rather like in many regards, has had it pretty easy so far. Unlike, say, Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden or even Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, in regards to the uh, attacks from the right, who are now, you know, pretending to be concerned that Democrats... Uh, the Democratic establishment is attempting to steal the nomination from Bernie. They've been up in arms about that over on Fox News, as they also claimed happened in 2016. Uh, You know, if he is the nominee, he will face unprecedented attacks, just like that template that was just laid out by uh, by Donald Trump there during his State of the Union address. Tom Sullivan, uh, what will be the effect of such an attack if Bernie does end up as the nominee. Well, I mean, uh, the, the whole approach to this is death by a thousand cuts. Uh, you, the first one doesn't get you, but the 10th the and the 11th one will. And, it's, again, it's relentless repetition um, and, and, and triggering the people's lizard brains back there. And they've, they've, got the little, they've got their language and they've got their message discipline that the Democrats can't seem to muster. And, uh, you know, it'll, it, it's just like... Uh, but her emails, they'll mm-hmm. they'll work it until they you know try to undermine him as much as they can. Um, I, Sanders, Sanders Sanders is going to have to face that, and he's going to have to he's going to have to deal with that, and especially around health care and 
you know, I've been I've been joking about the people want to who want a piecemeal health care that if you like your deductibles and your copays, you can keep them. <laughs> but but apparently not, because his plan uh, and well Elizabeth Warren's plan eventually would take away those uh, copays and deductibles by taking away private insurance. And to a lot of people, that sounds really scary. Now, you know, when you say taking away private insurance, they're replacing it with insurance for everybody all the time. No insurance necessary. That is cheaper. That it would be cheaper for them. Right. But when you say they're 180 million or whatever are going to lose their was going to wipe out their health care because of socialism. I think that freaks people out. But I don't know what to make of that uh, yet. Uh, Heather, I'm I'm worried that many supporters of Bernie's uh, are quite susceptible to this purposeful manipulation along the lines of uh, today, for example, Fox News was on about how the DNC is pulling out the stops to defeat Bernie. Uh, between that and the attack you heard in the speech uh, last night and Trump's attack on Sanders as a communist, as he did before the Super Bowl on Sunday, should that be a concern for Democratic primary voters? Well, I think it is. I think I, whether it should be or not, I don't know. But I, I suspect a lot of people are, are worried about it. Um, look, you know, socialism, and I, you know, it's like what we're talk. What Bernie really is, what we know he is, is mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of an FDR New Deal type mm-hmm. liberal, really. Yeah. By uh, certainly on international standards, he doesn't fit into anything that they would define as socialism. But he has he does like to call himself a socialist, a democratic socialist, but nonetheless he does take the label. I, I might have thought it would be wiser to call himself a social democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that ship sailed. So that that's just gonna be a factor in the election. And I think I, I I do believe that it is going you know, it's a hurdle. I just put it that way. They all have hurdles, right? Mm-hmm. I mean every, every whoever the candidate is is gonna have hurdles and I think that is the one that is probably going to be most difficult for mm-hmm. the Democrats if if Bernie if Bernie wins. On the other hand, you know we have a president who is so incoherent that he <laughs> said last night, and this was something written in his speech. I mean, I don't. He doesn't even know what he's. He was just you know babbling it. He didn't know what he was saying. But right. you know the fact that he said it in the State of the Union. He said, "Socialism destroys a nation, and freedom unifies the soul." What the heck does that <laughs> mean? I mean, what is he talking about? So, in a way, that makes me a little bit less worried that it will have the effect that we think because he's an idiot. <laughs> so wow. he's not. He's not. You know, I don't think he's as capable as someone else would be. I mean, I think there well, are candidates who could make a case against socialism that would resonate because there's something. It's kind of in the in a lot of Americans' DNA to be. Even today, even with the kids who all, you know, like socialism or, or, you know, say they do, there's still something in American DNA that kind of recoils a little bit around the word socialism. I mean, there's a reason why mm-hmm. we have the weak welfare state that we have. There is a reason for it. This is America. You know, and I'm not saying it's good. I'm not even defending it. I'm yeah. not observing it. And so, uh, you know, but, there is there is an issue there. But but among the most beloved programs in the sure. country, you know, are Social Security, Medicare, uh, of course, the military, of course, the public schools, all socialistic uh, programs. About the VA. And the, the VA, VA is the yeah. most, most socialist program 
platform we have. Exactly. But I think we also have to talk about the role of the corporate media in all of this, because, of course, Republicans and the Trump campaign are going to label the Democratic nominee as a socialist, no matter who it is. Mm -hmm. And they're going to lie about what Democratic socialism is versus, you know, authoritarian socialism like in Venezuela. So... The corporate media is going to help them do that no matter what, because, you know, Democrats are really bad at defining these narratives for the public. But the corporate media makes sure that it actually gets repeated as often as possible. These lies get repeated. Desi Doyen, you have such low expectations for the corporate media. I don't know what what happened to you. Let me take a quick break and we will come back with Heather Digby Parton and Tom Sullivan and Desi Doyen and myself right here on the broadcast as special coverage of pretty much everything at once from the State of the Union to impeachment to the Iowa meltdown all continues with impeachment, I believe. Up next, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the broadcast. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate And thanks. I swore an oath before God to exercise impartial justice. The president is guilty of an appalling abuse of public trust. Corrupting an election to keep oneself in office is perhaps the most abusive and destructive violation of one's oath of office that I can imagine. Were I to ignore the evidence that has been presented and disregard what I believe my oath and the Constitution demands of me for the sake of a partisan end, it would, I fear, expose my character to history's rebuke and the censure of my own conscience. To the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our special coverage of the State of the Union and the impeachment trial vote of the President of the United States and the Iowa caucus debacle continues with my guests Heather Digby-Parton, Tom Sullivan, both of the trusted decades-long accurate Digby's Hullabaloo blog uh, as we move from the State of the Union to impeachment now. Uh, That was Utah's Republican senator and former Republican presidential nominee Mitt Romney announcing in in an emotional speech, holding back tears, uh, as he discussed his commitment to God to honor his oath of impartial justice in the impeachment of Donald John Trump and his intention to vote for the uh, conviction and removal of the president of the United States during uh, Senate arguments on Wednesday uh, before the vote on acquittal or conviction for Trump on uh, two articles of impeachment for abuse of power and obstruction of justice. That final vote held just before airtime today was 52-48 on the first article on abuse of power, 5347 to acquit on the second article, obstruction of uh, Congress. 
Of course, as expected, neither vote came anywhere close to the required two-thirds vote needed to remove a president, which has never happened in American history, but nobody seriously thought it would. With these particular Republicans in this particular Senate, especially after they voted to join uh, the obstruction themselves by blocking all new witnesses and documents uh, in the trial for the first time in any Senate impeachment trial in U.S. history. But while I realize the bar is pretty low these days, Heather, uh, well, I was going to ask uh, after I heard uh, Mitt Romney's speech uh, earlier today, whether he deserves a Profiles and Courage Award for his willingness to vote to uh, convict on the obvious guilt of this president, at least on the first article of impeachment, abuse of power. But then he voted not guilty on the second one. So, uh, Heather uh, Digby Parton, does Mitt Romney deserve a Profiles and Courage Award there for that? Well, I don't know. You know, the, one of the first Profiles in Courage Awards that they did, the, you know, this is the Kennedy Center or mm-hmm. whatever, and it was in the book, in, in JFK's book, was about the, um, the senator who, who voted to acquit Andrew Johnson. Uh, he was the deciding vote. And, of course, you know, he was you know, a racist Confederate mm-hmm. <laughs> that ended up, you know, in, uh, acquitting Andrew Johnson, let's just put it this way, wasn't a good thing. But he got the Profile and Courage Award from the, you know, in the in the book. So I'm not sure those really mean much in these situations. Having said that, I do, uh, you know, I've got to respect Romney for doing this because it's not just him. It's not just one lone Republican who came out and you know followed his conscience. This is the guy that was the presidential nominee mm-hmm. seven years ago for the Republican Party. He is a major figure. He's in the history books. He's not just some guy, you know, he's not just some backbencher. He's, he was once the leader of the party, and he ran more than once. I mean, he was definitely considered presidential material by this party for a long, long time for many people. He was governor of a state. He's a senator now. I mean, he was, he's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he did that, I mean, what he, what he symbolizes, what this symbolizes is the death of the Republican Party that existed before now Mm. granted i want to you know absolutely say up front he is partially responsible for where things Mm -hmm. ended up anybody in the party at his level is they sat there and they let people like rush limbaugh and the rest of them (laughs) create this uh you know this horror show that's become the republican party but having said that when push came to shove at the end of the day he did stand up against and he said you know i know what i'm facing I know what's going to happen to me. And, of course, Donald Trump Jr. immediately started tweeting that he needs to be expelled from the, mm. from the Republican Party. That's the Republican Party of today. Yeah. And, and he said, do you think I would ask for that or do you think I would do that if, I didn't, if my conscience didn't demand it? I mean, and this was a rebuke to everyone in the party, every one of those people who knew very well, yeah. know very well that what, John, what, what Trump did was impeachable. And it's also a big rebuke to people like Susan Collins, to people like Cory Gardner, mm-hmm. Martha McSally, Joni Ernst, Tom Tillis, all these, all these Republicans in vulnerable um, races next fall. And their challengers can look at them and say, yeah, okay, look over here at this guy. This guy had enough integrity to do it, and you didn't. Yep. You didn't have what it took. You know, you have no, you know, you have no conscience. And I think that could be a powerful thing. You know, I don't, I don't think that those people are going to get off, and I think Romney helped 
do that. And, I mean, that takes some guts. It really does. I was was happily surprised to see that, uh, yes, even the very conservative Democrats, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Doug Mm -hmm. Jones of Alabama, who, you know, he, he perhaps most courageously, because he will be on the ballot yep. this year uh, in what is, you know, seen as deep red Alabama. I wonder, uh, uh, Tom, you come from North Carolina, perhaps the, um, the closely, most closely divided of all the battleground states. I wonder what right. you think about how, A, Tillis voted and if uh, Doug Jones down there in Alabama, if he deserves a Profile and Courage Award for voting on both counts, unlike Mitt Romney, on both counts uh, to convict the president. Jones might, indeed. Uh, he, that's that's going to be a tough race. It's looking like he's going to be facing Jeff Sessions in the fall. Um, there are other candidates in the primary, but uh, Sessions is uh, trending ahead, at least according to his own internal polls. So we'll find out about that soon enough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's going to, he, I mean, he narrowly squeaked that out last time. Now he's got to, now he's got to uh, face the voters again after this race. So that's, that's going to, that's going to be a tough race for him. Now, now Tillis, uh, Tillis is already weak, and I think what's going to happen to him is going to depend a lot on the candidate that the Democrats field here. Mm-hmm. And as often happens, uh, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee has already taken sides way ahead of the primary and is mm-hmm. backing a guy they backed 10 years ago who lost in the primary mm. then. So uh, we're, we're not looking to have somebody really strong to go up against him. Does uh, we had uh, Erica Smith on this uh, show? She is running in that uh, primary on the Democratic side, uh, and we had her on the show because she came out uh, full bore in favor of handmarked paper ballots across North Carolina. Does she have, even though uh, Cal Cunningham, I, I, that's who it is, Cal Cunningham, is that the guy's name? Right, right. Uh, right. He has been uh, the uh, Democratic Senate committee whatever it is is all on board for that guy does erica smith have any chance of uh taking him down given that support from the establishment democrats of uh, cunningham it'll depend on the turnout um i i you know the, the polling on that is rather thin uh, she seems to have some support she's not able to raise a lot of money mm-hmm. and as as we know the last time this happened when the DSCC took sides with Cunningham against our Secretary of State Elaine Marshall, as soon as she beat him, uh, they took their wallet and went home. Uh, the, the DSCC is rather fond of uh, male-compliant uh, candidates mm. who are going to be able to raise money, and independent women who are strong and perhaps older, they're not so much into that. Is Do we have any sense of the price that Tom Tillis uh, may either pay for his vote uh, today to uh, acquit on both counts, or or will that actually help him in a state like North Carolina? Do, or is it, it just too closely uh, too closely divided in your state uh, for anyone to know? It's it's a little too early to tell. I mean, it just happened, you know, within within an hour or so. So we'll have to we'll have to see how see how that shakes out. 
in the end, uh, and you're welcome to retract and revise your opinions down the road, of course, uh, as we <laughs> learn more about its effect on the electorate. But, uh, Heather, was it wise to bring these impeachment charges uh, for which he has been acquitted? And I see uh, now he is tweeting uh, our country's victory on the impeachment hoax. Uh, was it wise to, to bring these impeachment charges? And if so, should it have been earlier and many, many more of them at the same time? Oh, boy. Well, we've talked about this a lot as this whole thing unfolded, and I think that we were in agreement that we would have preferred to have a wider impeachment impeachment process with more charges brought. I, I never understood why they didn't take the Mueller obstruction of justice charges and just dump them in the lap of the Senate and say, here, read this, mm -hmm. you know. That word to say, you know, they didn't have to do anything. Everybody was under oath. It was all there. And just go, you know, check this out. Um, and so, you know, they had their reasons, and we all know what they are. I mean, we heard it. They felt like they had a, a very open and shut case. To the, I mean, I don't think they ever thought that they were going to actually convict Trump. Well, that's Senate. the thing. I mean, that had, was obvious. And, well, had they so, brought, brought those charges, those would have ended up the same way, presumably, right? I mean, right? That, that, it was, that was never. So it was always, so, you know, what can, we, what, what can we do to make this, you know, to make this as politically effective for us as possible? Mm -hmm. And I think that what they wanted to do, honestly, was to bring, uh, you know, a tight case, and then it was all about the Senate. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't think anybody had any real hopes that they were going to budge the, the, the hardcore Trump voters from him. Mm -hmm. But it was about the Senate. It's about Cory Gardner. It's about McSally. It's about, you know, Ernst. It's about those people who are in those vulnerable seats. Because I think everybody knows, Nancy Pelosi knows it, all the presidential candidates know it. If they don't get the Senate in November, having the presidency... While, of course, a massive improvement, and there are many things that a president can do on their own, it's a very powerful, powerful position, but many of the major reforms that have to be done cannot be accomplished with Mitch McConnell in charge of the Senate. So I, I think, you know, they knew that, they, that this was a chance to budge that, you know, the hold that Mitch McConnell and Trump had over, over those Senate races, and I think that that was always the hope. So well, looking back on it, Yes, I, I would have preferred to see a, you know, like the, I think that the corruption charges, I don't think those have had a proper airing for the public, and mm -hmm. I think the public could have seen it. But, you know, this, the way this unfolded with them refusing to hear from John Bolton, with them refusing to, to you know, get new documents, which were flooding out anyway through right. other places and not, and, and, and doing all that, I mean, I can't say that it was a, that it was a bad plan, and you know I think that in the end, at the end of the day, they had no choice. I mean, they had to do something. So you know, yeah, I mean, to me, it, seemed, it was their absolute duty under the Constitution yes. that they had Absolutely. to do something, regardless of whatever the political fallout was going to be, and and perhaps there will be some utility to having exposed yeah. all of these Republican senators who are now embarrassing themselves with these bizarre excuses that they're coming up with. And I wonder if you guys have any thought about how Romney talked about his oath before God. And you have all of these other public Christians in the Senate who are pretending like that oath, ah, you know, that was okay, it wasn't really that. Do you think that will have any impact on suburban women or evangelical voters who actually are true Christians? <laughs> Tom? Uh, I don't know if they actually vote that way. Okay. It's, uh, there's a lot of posturing that goes on there. Um, you know, uh, Romney obviously, uh, as he said, didn't want to have to explain supporting Trump to his grandkids and future generations. Mm -hmm. I just wish more of the Republicans would take that same approach to climate change. Mm -hmm. Yes. No kidding. 
Yeah. Well, there's going to be a lot of explaining to do. Uh, let uh, well, and of course, a lot of this is going to depend on what happens this November. So let's move on to what I have described as America's last firewall against full-on authoritarianism in this country. That would be, of course, the 2020 presidential election and the senatorial election uh, and the latest meltdown on the Democratic side of the aisle. In the wake of the disastrous Iowa caucuses earlier this week, Heather and Tom and Desi will stick around for one more segment as we do all of our special coverage all at once, uh, at least until tomorrow's special coverage of uh, whatever currently unknown nightmares (laughs) are still to come between now and then. And now I wish I hadn't said that. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with, uh, with all of that. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't go away. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. So take a deep breath, pick yourself up, start all over again. Yes. Yes, please. That, of course, uh, refers to uh, where we all are and what we all hope to do uh, as of November, start all over again. It also, sadly, refers to the, um, well, what they're having to do right now, I guess, in the uh, great state of Iowa. Welcome back to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yesterday I had, as listeners may have heard, quite a bit to say about the disastrous use of new, untested, secretly developed technology uh, with a smartphone app used in a mission-critical election to report otherwise fully publicly overseen results Uh, which included hand-marked paper records of of local results from uh, the caucus sites in Iowa on Monday. Of course, listeners uh, may have also heard previous shows where I warned about the use of that very app for these caucuses, along with the uh, other largely uh, ignored warnings about uh, similarly untested tech for upcoming mission-critical elections in battleground states this year, like Georgia, Pennsylvania, including Philadelphia, North Carolina, uh, Texas, and yes, even right here in my own home county of Los Angeles, the uh, Los Angeles, the largest in the nation. Well, two days later, after the uh, Iowa caucuses, we still do not know the full results of the first-in-the-nation caucuses in the Hawkeye State. AP continues to describe it too close to call at this hour, uh, but we have some additional numbers, which purportedly include 75 percent of the caucus sites at this point. They show similar results to those that we saw on Tuesday when the Iowa Democratic Party released what they saw, uh, what they described as 62 percent of the precincts. Uh, Basically, uh, Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders tied for first place by and large, with Buttigieg up just a bit, uh, followed by Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden. And then uh, Amy Klobuchar coming in thereafter. 
We are joined for our last few minutes of special coverage by my special guest today, Tom Sullivan of North Carolina, Heather Digby-Parton of Yes, California, both from the blog of renown known as Digby's Hullabaloo. Uh, Heather, I'm, I'm loath to make too much of anything of these unchecked partial numbers, other than they appear to show Sanders and Buttigieg in front and Warren and Biden right behind. What's your takeaway from either, I'll give you your choice, uh, either those partial Iowa results or the stupid, completely predictable tech meltdown that got us here? <laughs> well, I'll let you guys talk about the tech meltdown. You're the experts on that, and I'd be interested to hear what you have what you have to say specifically. Brad, oh, you should have heard yesterday's you know, show. It was fantastic. I it. Yeah, and it and was I just great. maybe a little recap yeah. for, for us today. Right. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it's appalling. And the, the vote count itself, to the extent we know it at this moment, 75% of the vote in. I mean, you know, those of us who live in California, mm-hmm. we're waiting for months for final vote counts. Yeah. So this doesn't really seem like that big of a deal to mm-hmm. me. But I recognize the way that the, the, the primaries are set up, that people sort of slingshot out of Iowa onto New Hampshire or not. And, you know, it's a big deal to know you know, who who won. It seems clear that it was very, very close at the top. The two top is Buttigieg and, and Sanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the story coming out of it, if it, you know, just to take the sort of pundit, put my pundit hat on here, is that Biden uh, was very weak, mm-hmm. and I think weaker than we thought he was going to be, or that most people thought he was going to be, um, and knowing that, you know, he had the big name recognition, and, and yet, you know, polling and various reports coming out of there were that he wasn't getting crowds, and that he wasn't really well organized, and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think that that's probably the big story, and it, and yep. it keeps reminding me of 2016. I mean, we talked a lot about this at the time. Mm-hmm. The you know that field had you know the the early the early guys who were you know the early bets in 2016 and in 2020 were a couple of young guys who were going to really take over the party wasn't and it was Scott Walker and Beto O'Rourke right and they were the big you know the new the saviors the, the mm-hmm. <laughs> charismatic leaders of the future who both you know flamed out really right early. off the bat yeah right, right off the bat yeah. so it left this big field and you know you had sort of the, the establishment guy who i think in 2016 was jeb bush everybody thought he was really well funded he was the guy right everybody well okay we didn't get our our great white bread hope um scott walker but mm-hmm. you know we've got jeb sitting here he's gonna he's gonna take it and he he flamed out and i think the same thing is happening to biden so mm. we're ending up in a in a situation where i think we can we can sort of look at this race and realize that it's it's the same, and it's not exactly the same dynamic, but it's similar. It's which is a shakeup in the party itself, and you're seeing this sort of play out. And here we have the specter of a billionaire kind of hovering off over this whole race by mm-hmm. the name of Michael Bloomberg, and you know he's not in it the way Trump was in it in 2016, but you know he could easily end up being a factor if if Biden flames out. So I'm kind of intrigued by that whole kind of parallel sort of, you know, comparison there. Yeah, you're right. I, I do think, uh, I, I think you've nailed it, and it's in, in that uh, if these numbers hold up, and again, these are only right. 75% of the totals, but if these numbers hold up, uh, it's almost more about who lost here, which seems to be Joe Biden versus uh, Buttigieg, Sanders, Warren, and Klobuchar all still clearly in there, but the disappointment of, uh, of uh, Joe Biden uh, to his supporters 
By the way, Heather, since you mentioned the voting machines and since you're out here in L.A., I don't know if you saw, but uh, on the TV machine uh, last night on CBS, uh, I was in there uh, on the, in an investigative report there talking about the voting machines that are coming to Los Angeles this year, the 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Okay. We don't have time to uh, play that today. I'll try to get to that on tomorrow's thrilling broadcast, but uh, I thought you might have seen it right before Colbert last night. If not, <laughs> it'll be on uh, tomorrow's broadcast. Uh, Tom, oh, uh, speaking of which, you, you're in the, as I said, the battleground state of North Carolina, where some counties in the state, including the most populous and most diverse, I believe, uh, Mecklenburg County, Charlotte, yep, is uh, preparing to use new, untested, secretly developed, wildly vulnerable, and unsecured uh, 100% verifiable touchscreen voting systems out there as well for the first time this year. Has has there been any second guessing of that poor decision in the Tar Heel State? after the uh, disaster that is still unfolding in Iowa uh, today, after the Iowa Democratic Party similarly chose to use new, untested, secretly developed election tech in their mission-critical caucuses. We're still puzzling over why the, the County Board of Elections, you know, went with that in Mecklenburg. Uh, it, they seem to have been uh, maybe tied to the hip to the, to the vendor. I don't know. Um, but the, the irony is, like, just Monday morning, I was in a meeting where we were talking about tech we were going to be using for our elections here uh, within the party, and quickly deciding that the more complexity you have, the more chance you have of things going wrong. And then Iowa happened. Mm. Um, you know, trying to introduce tech like that at the last minute mm. is is bad for a couple of reasons. And one, it's a poor assumption that. You know that the, the tech that's second nature to young city dwellers is going to be easy to use for more senior, more rural activists in in a host of counties across the country who can't even put up and maintain a free Facebook page. Right, and you're handing them this cell phone app where it's going to require them to download it, install it, go through several layers of security in order to simply get in there and enter data. It's just just nuts. Do you take anything, uh, and I'm glad that, uh, I, at least I hope, that it's freaking out people in North Carolina and that Mecklenburg comes to their senses, given how closely divided North Carolina is, uh, to use 100% unverifiable touchscreens, even if they were reliable ones, instead of, you know, crappy ESNS touchscreens that fail all the time. I, I'm glad to hear that maybe this is uh, scaring the hell out of a few people in that state, but but we'll see. You mean so, like maybe uh, Iowa might have done us all a favor? Uh, yeah, I think the Iowa by their abject failure. Is it not just I, the Iowa Democrat Democratic Party, who everyone hates this week. Maybe we ought to thank them. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. see. <laughs> we'll find out. Well, we'll see. But uh, they seem to have, they seem to have gone with this uh, uh, under pressure from the DNC and the media to get instant results. But there's something to be said for lower tech. It, it, it it's not as fast, but it's got its advantages and it's easier to use for a lot of people. Well, it's not about speed. They had it out quickly enough. I mean, one of the things that the DNC was pressuring uh, the state party to do was put out more numbers, the first round of voting, the, the realignment vote uh, that takes place in these uh, crazy caucuses that nobody knows how they work. So they wanted more data. I don't know that they wanted them to use this app. 
I think it was the Iowa Democratic Party that wanted to do it, despite cybersecurity experts telling them, please do not do so. Very quickly here, Tom, uh, before I get out, uh, on a political level, uh, do, do, do you take anything? Should we take anything from what we saw in Iowa? Or should we all take a deep breath and just see what the hell the rest of the voters think across the country before freaking out one way or another? I, I think I think people's romance with the latest tech gadgets uh, is a little um, Sour. misplaced. <laughs> they, it, you know, I I, I did a uh, digital tech uh, review uh, for the state on a webinar a few weeks back, mm-hmm. and we got to talking about texting applications, and they're they're simply multiplying like rabbits. You can't train anybody but, on them. But on a political level is what I was looking for. Should we take anything from what, uh, you know, from, from uh, Buttigieg and Sanders at the top and, and so on and so forth? Or is this just, uh, you know, th- the first fight and more to come? Well, I, I, I think it's bad for Joe Biden. He told the rally in New Hampshire today, he said, he said I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We took a gut punch in Iowa. Mm. And, you know, his support seems to have been largely vaporware and uh you know if he if he's able to recover we'll we'll find out in a week um sanders and warren are heading into new hampshire in their backyards are going to have a little bit of advantage there Buttigieg is out of his out of his element some so he'll he'll have some advantage of, of having tied bernie in iowa but we'll have to see if that stands up i have one quick thing I know that it's only one primary so far, but um, Iowa turnout, it looks like, so far was on pace only with 2016 and I think was lower than in 2018, the turnout. And I think that that is a concerning indicator for Democrats, maybe, on whether or not uh, the push to get Trump out of office will actually turn out voters. That, I think, is very concerning. Oh, absolutely. I've been saying for for months, uh, you know, don't 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 make your vote based on who you think your neighbor's going to vote for. Who would you go out in the heat of August and knock doors for? Thus, uh, check out Tom Sullivan's For the Win Nuts and Bolts training guide uh, if you're working in your particular county to help get out the vote this year. Tom Sullivan, where where can folks find that, by the way, to download? Uh, Forthewin.us. Forthewin.us. Very good. You can also find Tom Sullivan... I think every day posing as bloggers are us. That's his Twitter handle. And uh, he uses it also when he writes over at digbeesblog.net, which is uh, Digby's hullabaloo, uh, created by the great Heather Digby Parton. You can find her at on the Twitters at Digby56, also over at salon.com and, of course, at Digby's blog.net. Hey, really appreciate both of you joining us today on this hellish day of special coverage of everything. I look forward, sort of, to doing it again in the near future with (laughs) with both of you guys. (laughs) Under better circumstances, I hope. Uh, There'll be something coming. Am I right? Don't answer that. (laughs) My thanks to you both. Uh, We gotta get out. Uh, My thanks to our producer as well, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. We will see you there. My thanks also to those of you who help keep us going over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. 
Good luck, world.